Welcome one and all to a brand new episode of Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We apologize for the small hiatus. Uh, I personally have had quite the experience at a convention recently. And it was, it has me a bit pondering during my time there. As I'm a little bit of a comic book nerd, or a little bit of a pop culture nerd, it's come to draw my attention on the recent discussions of the Mary Sue. It's a bit of a hot-button topic, a bit taboo, but I think it goes without saying. It's something that needs to be discussed for those who are a bit on the unknown. A Mary Sue is a character that portrays little to no fl flaws and a character that has their the existence of their universe essentially bend to their will conveniences and no, things tend to work out in their favor in ways that don't logically make sense even in the connotations of their universe but I think the big question that I would like to ask for one and all is what purpose does the Mary Sue entail and why is it considered a bad literary a literature trope in media? I ask this question because, like I said, the Mary Sue is a taboo and thus it's generally frowned upon by many audiences when people flag certain characters as Mary Sue's, many people will jump in arms, either, either to defend or persecute the character in question. It's a rather strange enigma because we don't find this we don't find this often with other type with other character tropes. Or at the very least, the attack or the taboo is nowhere near as great as the Mary Sue. So, you have any insights or any any particular any particular knowledge you want to contribute to this? As an individual who spent a decent amount of time uh, dealing with narrative writing, like like you had done with comics and stuff like that, um, when it comes to the concept of the Mary Sue, it's something that. Is it can be viewed as an overused trope, sometimes falsely, and sometimes it has to do with when a person comes into a specific narrative writing. Maybe they've come into the character and hadn't really seen any of the backstory, or you know, the build up to the character being to the power level or you know, fantasy, you know, level as it is, and in in most cases it's tends to be an overused um derogatory comments on a, a specific piece of writing or, or or pop culture and while i personally think that every person who makes something puts a bit of themselves in it when it comes to art and and write and any kind of uh, narrative writing, you tend to have this. You you can feel the different pieces of that person's you know essence moving around in what they're trying to create. To the degree that a lot of these people are stating, they're going for a a more negative angle, as in it tends to play out like a passion play, like a person's trying to basically live out their personal fantasy life that they wish they had through their writings or or a movie or some sort of video whatever the whatever medium that they're using without any kind of structure in which that these sort of things have just occurred they happened in a vacuum either the person is just personally powerful because of you know some nebulous reason that's never explained or they were fast-tracked to that particular level of power through some kind of some kind of plot device that 
is completely detached from the overall story as it stands. And you have this dissonance when it comes to the reader where people tend to become detached from the story being told. And when you're telling any kind of story, there's a certain level of immersion you want the person to have. And in regards to that type of any kind of writing, the objective at the end of the day is to acquire a certain level of interest across the board, understanding that you're not going to always appeal to everyone. You want to try and get to as many people as you can, but you have to temper your expectations depending on the subject matter, uh, the style of writing or drawing or any, any, or, uh, directing as it were um where you're going to actually draw the line in the sand is your own personal interest in most cases unless you're extremely eclectic which i mean we all try to be in our daily lives but it's just not feasible when it comes to um when you're writing about stuff because you can't it's very difficult when you're writing any kind of narrative to have a scattershot approach with different tropes and you know different set pieces because when you when you kind of you know scatter fire everything you lose a great deal of the focus that you need to drive a um a reader to keep riding the ride with you or a viewer as it were and that's one of the major headaches i think you have with that with that particular style of writing and i can understand why there's a great deal of taboo around it that being said Depending on what you're writing, if it's a superhero story, depending on the age range of the people that you're trying to target, you may may not need as much backstory buildup for that character. You just always have to know who your audience is when you're going in. And if you're targeting a very niche market, you don't care if anybody outside of it's going to give a give two two shakes about it. Well, that's where I wanted to go on. On I wanted to add to. I don't quite agree that you need to appeal to as many people as possible. At the very least, that's not the aim you should be making. You should be making what you should be trying to release a product. At the very least, that you can enjoy personally, and if that adds to the passion towards your project, then the niche, then the audience, no matter how niche, should form. In my personal opinion, the problem with the Mary Sue is that when you is that there is always going to be a bit of the writer, no matter how minute into the characters and the world that they built. It's just something that's going to be a part of it. It's when you notice the purpose of the character far more than anything else is when you start to see the 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 cracks on the wall because let's let's i want an example that you may not you viewers may not know this if you if you do wonderful uh dragon ball is a perfect example of a character that is so borderline gary stew that for the past three decades you have amples of evidence to show that the character is indeed a Gary Stew. Because this guy, even though he's died... Goku is what I'm, asking, I'm talking about. Goku has lived, died, and has done impossible feats time and time again. And yet he is not a complete monster, if you're living outside the theories that people have come up over the years. Um... But canonically, he's still a stand-up guy who cares about his family and protects the rights of the people. And not to say that no one, that no hero in their mind should be completely corrupt-free, but it's surprising given the the crap that that character has has dealt with, and yet has maintained a level of purity and achieved feats that are, well. Let's face it, fan fiction, especially if you look into the super segment of Dragon Ball, it there are feats that happen in there that are, well, ludicrous. And the way a friend of mine mentioned, it's essentially a series that's written by fanfic writers. 
And that is one of the taboo things that tends to bleed across when you're talking about the Mary Sue concept. Is in a lot of cases, fan fictions tend to be oversaturated with that use of trope because, in effect, it's a it's it's a it's a fan fiction. A fan writes a fiction about a fantasy world that they enjoy in their own context with their own parameters. Now, when it comes to the personal writing like that, I see no problem with that kind of stuff. What I think ends up being the major headache for most people is there's the, the you have this sliding scale of complimentary critique outright flaming of the of the particular thing in question and it the, the middle ground's very rarely ever caught in between the front uh, between the the, the middle the beginning and the end it's either this is an amazing thing you've wrote it's so cool i can't believe you wrote it yay or outright vitriol and hate to the point where the person who writes it feels absolute disgust with with one the, the people who are who are critiquing and as bold of words as i can make that with as many quotes as i can their piece to the point where they become either insular about it and continue writing something and just essentially creating their own fantasy world that they live in in a level of delusion or they tend to get caught in their own personal opinion bubbles with, with the people who are complimentary and it creates this weird vacuum space where nothing where where no real criticism can actually be drawn to it if you write something and you put it in the public eye you have to accept a level of scrutiny i'm not saying you have to expect expect outright hostility in the things that you do but you should always be prepared for it regardless and I'm not saying everyone should have a thick skin with whatever they're supposed to be doing. I, I I would disagree there. I would believe that you need it. We have so many different types of people out there with so many different types of reactions and and uh, reasoning behind them. So And some of them may be completely irrational. So if you're going to be releasing such content to the public, yes, I would say expect the worst out of out of some of your audience and you're gonna have to deal or at the very least you can ignore the loudest of critiques that end up being nothing more than uh relentless uh vitriol because that's just there there are people there like you said i agree with you on that there is always going to be criticism from some aspect of your audience no matter what. And that is something that you need to at least take into some consideration. You don't have to completely obey. Because let's face it. This is where we get the... And this is not really anything to do with the Mary Sue. But the idea of uh, creator control. Because we're now moving on to this idea that people think that... Uh, the content creator should not have a final say to what goes on in their own writings. That is the most ludicrous ideology I have heard in literature. I think when it comes to your original... We'll, 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 we'll break this down. When it comes to your original statement, yes and no. Because if things are done correctly, a person is in a state of training wheels when it comes to what they're creating some kind of scholastic situation where they're either in you know high school or college where they have the bumpers necessary to kind of bounce around without doing too much damage to their psyche in the process so they have the, they have the the the, the control environment the, the, the control group necessary for them to do what they need to do with local criticism something where you have a higher authority a teacher or, you know, a, a counselor, depending on who it ends up being. A club, if you happen to be. If you're in a club. Who can, who in most cases are going to be receptive to what you're creating, but are still willing to give you the level of critique that you need to improve your craft. Because everything is a balancing act of your own creative capabilities versus the critique of the larger people that you're trying to, trying to create things for. Fair enough. Now... 
where I agree with you is once you stepped out of this into the larger environment, be it the internet or some sort of public public uh, display situation. Yeah, publisher. Uh, yes, or some places do like community art gallery displays, literature stuff. As you expand out from local to community to region to country to world, you're going to start having bigger and bigger levels of critiquing and opinions, negative and positive. What you need to do, what what needs to be created on the front side is an expectation. Your mentor, whatever they may be, needs to instill in you an understanding that no one, not everyone is going to accept what you create. Once that's established, you can weather any storm, no matter how vitriolic it is, because you've already gotten in your head, I am made this with the understanding that not everybody's going to enjoy it, but I need to be aware and be able to pick and pick through what is the usual sludge to get to the active critiquing where they're like, well, I really like the way that you've done this. How do you feel about using this technique? Something to that effect where it's an actual critique and not just somebody going out of their way to make you feel bad for what you're doing. With that being said, a lot of the a lot of this lord's uh, type of negative critique is usually reflected upon those who are accused of creating Mary Sue's, because it is one of the more common, or at least what seems to be the loudest type of criticism. So where did so where did this particular trope start to form do you think so from my knowledge the mary sue began in a 1970s uh fan fiction of star trek under the name of mary sue it was written by someone who happened to be a diehard fan of the series where she created the character who was not only rather young to be in the to be in the crew she was also one of the most intelligent and one of the most uh, technologically capable of the crew. Okay. And for some reason, she was also the star of the show uh, or the, sh- the star of the, cr- uh, uh, of the writing. Okay. She apparently had, uh, had gained the attention of Captain Kirk, despite the fact that she was only 14. Ooh. And when he and when she turned him down, he praises her praises her for it. Okay, then. This is only an example, a small sample. If you don't remember, or you didn't actually see or read this yourself, uh, then they uh, to there was one particular moment where uh, she, where Mary Sue, Kirk, and uh, Spock are captured. I can't remember where exactly. But uh, she reveals to Spock that she is also half of his race. Okay. So there is actually a root in all of this. And sadly, it's fan fiction. It is. It's rooted in fan fiction. But the thing is, is that it's not like the canon show didn't create something similar. There was one particular character. I can't remember if it was in The Next Generation or in the original series. But he was a part of it, and he reflected in many ways of Mary Sue, given the reflecting of the name Gary Stew. So if you hear us say Gary Stew, it's the male equivalent. Just so that we can understand that it is not, this archetype is not the same, no, it's not exclusive to women. This is an arc, this is a trope. That's used to uh, to define a character that is not only overly or suspiciously uh, overpowered, but rather that the universe in itself seems to go in the favor of that character. Now, interesting, but really interesting, and didn't really dwell on that that much. That's kind of messed up. Um, one of the other, the other question, the other statement that you made, and I wanted to address this, 
is creative control is always important when it comes to something that you have personally birthed into reality. And it's something that is integral to furthering the, the intellectual property in ways that you deem necessary for it to flourish. I completely agree with this. However, there is a limit to this. And the limit at least in the general public. When it comes to your own private use of your own intellectual properties, do whatever you feel like you need to do. But creative control is always leveraged on two very important, uh, several very important things. One, who's bankrolling it? If there is somebody bankrolling it. Because that person might have, in, might have some uh, input on what you're creating and may guide your hand a lot more than you think that they do. Two, your fans do have some level of creative control over what you do, depending on the fan base that you have. For good or ill, I am very much on the fence on which one is more prevalent in most cases. I would say it's more towards influence rather than control, because there, there, there is differences between the two. I don't know. They're, those lines are blurred in some cases. They're, they're blurring because people who... Uh, who tried to uh, force control onto the property are trying to muddy the difference. Okay, I can see that because we can have an in, we can have influences <clears throat> over over anything. Doesn't mean that it goes in our direction. It just means they act, they take note of the uh, of the of the opinions at hand and they may or may not, or they compromise into a fa into something that is more favorable or that makes both, that makes uh, both parties that allows both parties to benefit. But when you have someone that, or when you have a group that contain that has com uh, control of the property, then other people or other groups no longer have a say on it. Give Akira Toriyama of Dragon Ball for an example as the creator of Dragon Ball and he not does not have influence or control over his own property. Now, I understand why, but it is also quite saddening when you are the reason why such a product has come to notoriety and has become one of the biggest franchises of all time and you have very little say in it when it comes to situations like that i don't know the circumstances on how he lost creative control if it was something that he sold off if it well, was an intellectual property that it, he sold then that's just the he, nature of the the beast he hasn't that but the well, that's a very good point when that's why I have no. Um, that's why I don't have any sympathy for George Lucas. Yep. He sold his property. Oh yeah, his intellectual property. So no matter how bad the series ends up later down the line, he's got no say in it. He washed his hands of it, and that was during the time when people didn't even see highly of his own product when he was helm of it. Or have we not forgotten what happened with the sequel trilogy? He was despised. Despised for that trilogy, despite the fact that there is a contingency of sequel trilogy fans, and I'm not downing on them for anything. I'm they have they they love the the sequel trilogy, fine. And at the very least, they can shine on that knowing that the or I should say the prequel trilogy because the sequel trilogy is much more frowned upon. Thanks to uh, the mess that is, and the much more prevalent of the uh, the prevalence of the uh, the Mary Sue in there, and I think that is a major headache with regards to that. And I absolutely agree with you on the concept of George Lucas. Um, the problem with a lot of what has occurred and the information that I had gleaned from a lot of the more diehard. Uh, Lucas creation created, you know, IP fans is there was a lot of promises in place on Disney's part 
and I don't know if they were written in stone when he when the agreement was penned. I don't really know if it's. I'm going to assume not because if it was something that was if it was a contract breach, then he would have sued them and probably gotten some kind of recompense. So I'm going to say that they gave a tongue-in-cheek answer along the lines of, we will definitely reach out to you for creative control of things. You will be, you know, for, foremost on the person that we get suggestions from. I don't know if he just decided that he was just more give, more than willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, which is a terrible thing to do when you're dealing with a company of that magnitude. You, 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 first of all, you get things in writing as much as humanly possible, and it didn't seem like that was the case with him. If and that was the case, then dear God, does he fail as a businessman, especially for one who has been in business for over 40 years? Oh, agreed. Uh, 100% agree. And that's on him. As you said, I, it's hard to have sympathy for somebody who basically gave away his life's work to a larger body. I get what the expectation was. He wanted a chance for it to flourish and didn't believe that he himself could give it the legs necessary to become the legacy for himself beyond his years. It's a bit ironic, though. Or don't you find it a bit ironic considering the fact of how it ended up being a mega colossal franchise in the first place? Agreed. I, I find it very very entertaining in that regard because... I think that he had tunnel vision on what he had created, or maybe time made him weary. Maybe the the yeah, that's a possibility. Maybe what happened with the prequel trilogy, because from what I hear from a lot of uh, Star Wars fans, is that the fans had no problem with the prequel trilogy. In contrast to the media, reviled the prequel trilogy with a burning red hot passion and they let him know it every way that they could and because as somebody who's seen every the all the prequel trilogy movies and the the sequel trilogy movies all in in theaters i don't ever recall personally seeing anybody who was unhappy or walking out of the theater when they were watching the movie in any case but I don't know. Some it's rose-colored glasses in some cases when it comes to IPs that have a large fan base. Some people just you could stick the Star Wars logo on a brick and they will be excited to see it. I don't know. Use the Force. Yeah. <laughs> as as it as it stands, if you look at again, it's the, you, when you're talking about the sequel trilogy, there is a heavy Mary Sue situation because. The the first two movies did not explain the main character's abilities in a way that made sense. In fact, the second movie went out of its way to say that there literally was no reason for her powers to be as powerful as they are because she had no lineage attached to those powers. And it wasn't until the third of the sequel movies that they ended up shoehorning a lineage into her backstory. Ham-fisted, yes. Didn't prevent me from enjoying the movies as popcorn flicks because I, I personally view most Star Trek or Star Star Wars, sorry. Star Wars movies as popcorn flicks regardless. You're I, about to get it killed. I whatever. <laughs> Anywho. I, I I've said on other podcasts my feelings about this kind of stuff and I it stands I don't have a particular field. That has nothing to do with it. It's confusing Star Trek with Star Wars. <laughs> oh I know. I, I'm you know Kirk Picard, that whole dalliance, whatever. Um so when you contrast that on the, the the flaws that Luke had in the, the original trilogy. He was not a competent individual through the first two movies, even with the lineage he had when he found that he found out in the second movie. You make a great you you made an, a very interesting comparison because one of the things that many defenders of Leia uh, do is that they compare her with both Anakin and Luke Skywalker, both saying that they're both Gary Stews, you should not be angry that Leia is a Mary Sue. Or if you're going to call her a Mary Sue, then these characters are Gary Stews. I've never thought she was a Mary Sue character. Ever. She, like, despite the overuse of the damsel in distress trope, 
in 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 popular media oh, I'm overall. Of, I'm thinking of Ray. My apologies. You're thinking of Ray. My, I, I was, I, but but you're you know that still makes sense because they made the statements in the in the in the sequel trilogy when they talked about Leia as well. A lot of the things she was able to do didn't make any sense in the context of the movie. Why would she have access to that kind of stuff? I promise you we will eventually walk away from the nerdy talk. It's just something that we've kind of, you know, bled into in this contrast. (laughs) Brace for impact, folks. To be fair, considering this is a a literature topic, we're only using the best of our knowledge to bring out the, the, the most out of this particular subject. Well, plus we wanted the, our first uh, real podcast in person to be a little bit more lighthearted anyway, so I'm not, I don't have a problem with that at all. That's fair. But yes, there, so one of the comparisons that people like to make with Ray is with Anakin and Luke, that they are Gary Stews. Now, my only disagreement is that we can actually see a natural growth and development, especially with Luke. Throughout the three movies, heck, even in his first move encounter with uh, Darth Vader, he doesn't come out winning the conflict against him. In fact, he loses his arm in the first movie, well, showing that second, he was the second movie technically, but it's the first movie he actually confronts Vader. Yes, yes, he loses his arm in his first conflict with Vader. What happens with Rey in her first conflict? With uh, Kylo, with Kylo Ren, she defeats him. Everyone was expecting Ren to be this indomitable force, given the fact that they tried to uh, hype him up essentially as this powerful villain with this incredible, weird tri uh, style sword. Like, if, if you're gonna one-up Darth Maul, of all people, then, yeah, of course he's going to be an intimidating car- intimidating foe. But Rey defeats him on the first encounter for someone who wasn't necessarily trained and was, cl- even if she was in some sort, was clearly outmatched by someone who had been training under two different, no, of Jedi and a Sith Lord, for much of his life, and still was overcome. The reason why this has to be said, because if you don't, if you compare that to going back to Dragon Ball one more time, to a character who, while did while was training, still overcame literally impossible feats, you could still see the character. No, you could still see the character do actual training, and it was taken on a far looser. A far looser context than that of Star Wars. Star Wars, despite the fact that it is an entirely fantasy genre, still roots on much of its uh, much of its lore on science, fictional science, mind you, but you know science nonetheless. So the idea is that you have to try and apply some sort of logic into its lore, even if it's on a fantasy setting. You have to use that logic for that fantasy for those fantasy lores to stick to connect. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that Ray fails to do is connect and make the logic of their lore make any sense. Right. Fair enough. Whereas with Luke and even Anakin, who had a weaker argument against him being a Mar- uh, Gary Stew. Was still far, not, still actually made more sense in the grounds of his of the lore, of the lore of the universe, in the Star Wars universe, than Rey. That's what makes her character arc or her character trope far more suspicious and far more likely to be a Mary Sue. And when people notice that, it diminishes the quality of the movies substantially because what a Mary Sue ultimately does is that now the move now the story can't conquer her there's no possibility anymore in any other story at the, any good story can lead a, can have you thinking that a hero will likely overcome but will have uh, will have the ability to make you doubt it i think at the very least with 
the first and the the first and the third of the sequel trilogies, you definitely have much more of a Mary Sue situation. Whereas the middle movie, Ray, at the very least, still had situations that were against her because when she came up against the the main antagonist, and I'm not talking about Ren, I'm talking about Snoke. Oh, he he deftly backhanded her with with very little effort. He and it was sad to watch her flail around in that regard, and it was only in the the intervention of Kylo Ren that she was able to even survive the encounter because at that point it was pretty much going to be her dying at that point. See, that's at the very least it gives something. It gives you something to work with, and one of the major things that I enjoyed about the second movie was the, the taking the tropes that had been put in place and flipping them upside down, upside down in their head. It wasn't about lineages. It wasn't about <clears throat> birthright because there were beings in the world and it was showcased at the end of the movie that had access to the force. That's actually a fir- that's actually a perfect point. The way that they dropped the ball on that one because they had a theme going. Right. They had a theme going that it that lineage your ancestry should mean nothing. Right. But it that only, that what you can do is what matters. Right. But they utterly destroyed that when they brought in the third movie. Yeah. And kept adding lineages. And unfortunately, this continued on after that third movie. Because according to, I believe it was going to be some comics later down the line, where it's like revealed that she apparently has both Skywalker and Palpatine blood in her. That she's supposed to be Luke Skywalker's daughter. That's convoluted. But that's basic. If there was no, if there was no other hint that she was a Mary Sue, that was the, that was the deal breaker right there. Because now you have a character that is not only not only has a major connection with some of the with one of the greatest villains in all of Star Wars, you now have a character that has a deep con- uh, a blood connection with one of the greatest heroes in Star Wars. Yeah, you basically shoot. You basically created a situation. It's a a, a a dead end. It's a fan fiction character one hundred and one. Right. So why does that make people make people detest it? Because now there is literally nothing this character can do to fail. There's nothing this character can do to fail. They would have to force a way for her to fail, and. It would make no logical sense in the context of the movie. Right. Fair enough. You've definitely changed my mind on it. But my statement still stands as if they just ran with the same... With the original intent? If they ran with the the original intent of the second movie and just, just stuck to their guns, there would at the very least be a large enough contingency of people who were already on from the first movie into the second movie with the changes that they made... And people would have ridden that ride and watched it as a subversive change of the meat and potatoes tropes, which would in itself have created a an effective uh, counter narrative in place as far as, you know, the, the, the standard, you know, starch that has been Star Wars for a very long time. And I'm not talking about the extended universe because the extended universe in and of itself, that narr- those narratives are... It go in 80 different directions for a reason because when they were created during a time when George Lucas had the creative freedom to basically tell people write whatever you want if it's great I'll adapt it if it's meh whatever it allows it allowed for a great deal of eclectic narrative creation but as far as because I myself have only ever read like one of the extended universe novels which, and again, it was a well-written book, but I was mainly about the pop culture stuff that was in place with the movies. And I think a lot of people would say the same thing. Yes. 
not not everybody goes goes whole, whole hog into like all of the extra bells and whistles that are attached to an IP, especially one as popular as Star Wars. And nor should you. No, not all, if you don't have the time. <laughs> of course, it all requires a serious amount of investment, and for something that is supposed to be entertainment, yeah, I would not blame you for the second if you don't want to bother. Not at all. So that makes sense. Um, with regards to. Uh, Mary Sue's in, in narratives in like actual writing writing you very rarely see it in published novels because there's a great deal of um, curation when it comes to a lot of stuff obviously some things slip through the cracks I don't like putting out a lot of examples um, because when it comes to the scrutiny of these things they're kind of beaten beaten to death the, the dead horse theory in those is pretty hard now, when it comes to stuff that uh, is a bit more risque, uh, like Fifty Shades, that, that series, there's a reason that there's a great deal of disdain for it. But it's not because of Mary Sue. It, it might be a self-insert, which might be more concerning for mo- for, for a couple of psychologists. But um, one that usually ends up getting brought up a lot in narrative writing is the... Um, and I'm going to forget the name because my brain is blocking it out. Does it start with Does it start with light? No, I was talking about the flipping vampire book. Yeah, Twilight. Twilight. <laughs> okay, that doesn't start with it, but it's the second part. But yeah, the Twilight series. Bella is a Mary Sue beyond uh, par excellence. Yeah, I absolutely agree. There is no way around it. It was written that way, and the people who enjoy it are enjoying it for that reason. Is it a good or a bad thing? I guess that's up to the the reader. I would say it's poorly made, but I wouldn't. But you know, that's a Some, fair enough assumption. Something could be poorly made if it has the bells and whistles. It doesn't matter. The reason I'm saying it's poorly made because the the problem with the series, besides the poor writing, is that the character, the Mary Sue, it's it's written all around it. If you read. If you know about the main character at all, she is a character with little to no personality that somehow acquires the attention and attraction of two of the hottest male protagonists in the entire series that vie for her attention despite the fact that she has literally not tried at all. The reason why this is a very huge... It just... One of the things that modern, uh, the modern critiques of pop culture likes to uh, address or like to point out is that um, many writings, much of literature, is based on male power fantasies. Twilight is the perfect example of what a female power fantasy is. It is a character that literally doesn't have to try at all and yet it is the bar of excellence that attracts everyone around them they literally don't have to do anything and everything goes their way almost no matter what in fact her biggest conflict for in this whole series is who does she end up with fair that is in and of itself a uh and a lot of women were drawn into it because it was essentially a power fantasy. You don't have you're you're a beautiful woman who doesn't have to try to be beautiful, who ends up getting the hottest guys to fight for you. And if you're one of the weirder types, you have a child with one of them in which the other guy is so attracted to the uh, to your child and I'm not talking about this baby. I love this baby so much. I want. I will protect it like it's my family. It's. I want to f- that baby. That was in book three. Don't ask me why I was reading it. I'm not going to ask. I don't think I want to know. But the point is, it's a perfect example of a Mary Sue, in a book that, in in a in a. It's one of the examples of what a Mary Sue is and how it can bring down an entire bring down an entire series. It's not the, the idea of having a conflict between two supernatural clans over one another is not a terrible idea. We've seen something similar in the series Underworld. 
as weird as that series was, it wasn't that bad between uh, werewolves and vampires, and it was much more action-oriented, with a hint of romance on the side. But then you had Twilight, that... Uh... If you look at... A, okay, so... There's a certain level of proficiency that is required for narrative writing... And knowing what your target demographic is, young adults, older teens, which is what the Twilight series was aimed at, you really don't have to you don't have to write the great American novel. You just don't. I mean, fair. And that and that's as an excuse. The poor quality. The poor quality. I'm just saying that you know the bar is set relatively low in contrast because you have stuff like the uh, the Divergent series. Which has which uses similar uh, similar tropes, with, you know, with with the protagonist, but the overall the overarching narrative is enough where there are enough conflicts in the in place where she doesn't feel like a complete Mary Sue character. There's she it's, she isn't awesome on the front side. She doesn't immediately pick up on things. She gets her she gets her her posterior handed to her on many occasions in both the writing and the movie. Um and and does she get stronger and develop? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, and I think when people I think we need to uh, understand here. Having Mary Sue moments doesn't automatically make, make you the a whole Mary thing Sue. a Mary Sue. Yeah, having moments where the character feels supernaturally, supernaturally powerful in a moment doesn't generally taint. It's not a tainted well effect. Yeah, if you keep dipping too hard, then it starts to you start to lose that credibility exactly, and right. a great deal of grace in the eyes of the people who are actually watching or reading your stuff. One of the things that makes a good a good book is when the protagonist can achieve at least one impossible feat to try and, you know, increase the tension or break the tension from a from a dangerous situation or right. no, or a dramatic situation. Exactly. It's just all about the accumulation of those impossible moments that put together that that add up the frequency that leaves you to wonder that leaves one suspicious of whether or not it's a, a legitimate story or a Mary Sue situation. I think at the end of the day, it, it you're going to have people who are going to be okay with the trope in itself versus the people who are a bit more jaded when it comes to that kind of stuff. And that's really where you have the dividing line when it comes to any kind of narrative or any kind of, uh, pop culture stuff is how immersed the person was to begin with in the in the genre that it's targeting. Wait, so there are hold on, there are people who are actually genu genuinely like Mary Sue stories. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that there are people who like them and don't believe they're Mary Sues. I mean that they acknowledge that it's a Mary Sue and still enjoy the story anyway. Yeah, that's a pretty that's pretty shocking to me. There, there's a market for everyone. I suppose, but I'm just going to say it that way. I'm not going to specify what that group would be. I don't. But think you'd you have should. to. <laughs> but you have to imagine that they that you that there are people who enjoy that kind of aspect because you have a bunch of different fandoms for different literary works, like the Dresden Files, uh, anything anything written by. Uh, by that author is generally viewed in a positive life, no matter how weird his writing may get. Um, it, clearly, there was a young adult slash teen uh, teen uh, audience for stuff like the the Divergent series and Maze Runner and the stuff like that. Though, depending on who you talk to, the books the the the, the Divergent series kind of fell off after the final book. But that has more to do with the the creative the creative flex of the person who created the series, not so much the people in question. And obviously, there were people who enjoyed the, the enjoyed the Twilight series, both in novel and in movie. I still find those people insane. Again, I know, I know. If it fulfills, if it fulfills a fantasy, that's the problem with, that a lot of people seem, don't seem to understand. I don't judge people if they like that kind of stuff because at the end of the day, it's just a form of escapism. 
we're going into a we're go, you're going into a fictional world and living vicariously through the, crea- the through the created characters that are in there. Okay, that's a fair that's a fair point. So the question is, does the Mary Sue still justify the point of the movie? Because a Mary Sue is indeed an impossible character. You're not finding a Mary Sue in the real world. And that is the point of literature. It at the very least fictional literature. You escape from the you escape from the real world. So finding an a hyper idealized character in your story should that be a problem for people? Or is it or is it just like anything else going a bit too far? At the end of the day, I think you would have to look at the numbers. The numbers are ultimately the devil of the de- the devil in the details. How many? How much? How much audience retention was there for a literary work, for a movie, for a and for a series? At the very least, that latter part I will agree, and that's because otherwise you're telling me that Imagine Babies, uh, should be you know remade or something because they sold over a million units <laughs> and uh that would have me questioning i'm pretty sure nobody wants that around again well that specifically there might be other factors that have driven the numbers on that one that, but you can generally tell based on the fervor of the fandom how much market retention something like that would have and that's really where you have to kind of keep your eyes on. Not that it's very easy for a lot of markets, and I think that's where you have the detachment for most people. And it goes back to the statement of, uh, as, as a fan, having control versus having input on what's being creative, what's being created. Honestly, the state of things as they are now, it's very difficult for me to say that there shouldn't be a modicum of control, not just input, when it comes to the fan the, the, the fans. And I'm not saying that it needs to, you know, this needs to be stream of consciousness, you know, hive mind scenario where, you know, they have to basically take everything, you know, everything to heart and put every, implement everything. But if you get enough people saying the same things over and over again, what needs to be changed, critiques on these particular things, and you can confirm that they're credible, because there's ways in most cases, unless it's just some random anonymous person making a stupid comment. It's easy to verify when someone's actively saying, these are the things that you probably should have done to make it better, and someone just saying, your, 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 your stuff is trash and you shouldn't be doing this kind of stuff. If you can't tell the difference between that, then there are other problems in place. When it comes to that kind of stuff, contrasted with what the industry tends to do, especially with pop culture stuff, using focus groups is proven to be useless. They keep using them in some vain hope that this is what they need to try and appeal to the audience they're trying to appeal to. It's a bit outdated, I'll give you that much. It's not only outdated, it keeps giving them incorrect information, and the numbers in a lot of the movies are showing that it's not giving them the results they want, especially contrasted between between domestic and international sales. Well, that's why they're outdated, because if they're not giving you the information you need whatsoever, then they're clearly clearly useless. They're clearly flawed, and it's something that you need to remove. You need to change... You you need to use other uh, other methods. You would need to convince the people in the higher-ups who rely heavily on that to make that decision. And that on ultimately is the major headache. For, the only way that's going to convince them is for no, is significant money loss. Yeah, you have to you have to speak their language. Yes, money. How does this make me more money? How does this affect your bottom dollar? Simple. When you have people who will no longer per, uh, consume your product, and you're losing millions of dollars, and it starts affecting your bonuses, maybe you want to look into this problem. Mm-hmm. But I think the. It, hence why I believe why some of the decisions that the bigger higher-ups are doing are uh, are essentially being left unaffected because it's not affecting their pockets enough Agreed. for them to consider changing tactics. But what's the what, what, at what point do you think something like that... Because so, if you contrast that to like an individual author 
yeah, slash then, publisher, it's a bit more compartment. It's compartmentalized too, where a author can see in most cases in real time what works and what doesn't with what they're writing. And when it comes, depending on the publisher, unless they self-published, the input from the publisher is generally not nearly as, as, uh, accurate. No, uh, invasive because when you're working with a studio, with a, uh, with a company that has a, has a agenda, that's when you're going to have your problems and genuinely you you need to be more critical of what they want than what you want in most cases and it's never going to be a 50-50 split it's just not when you're writing it's a bit more you have more creative control over it even with a publisher's oversight because they're only going to really want little changes here and there now i've not, never personally published things but i've talked to people who've done publishing on their own and people who've gone through companies for publishing Inputs kind of variable, not so much in Hollywood, completely different field. And you tend to give a great deal of your creative liberties up in pursuit of gaining some sort of, some sort of popularity and money. Unless you're a big shot director who has already proven his worth. Yes. At which point you're probably going to be able to do whatever you want, but you have to make your bones. If you're, if you're unproven, you're, you're at their whim in most cases. Yeah, you're going to have to, you're going to have to play ball. And that then that's just the nature of the beast in that regard. Yeah. But when it comes and that's also the reason why a lot of people tend to do a lot of their own independent stuff, because when you can do that kind of stuff, it gives you a portfolio to start with. And especially with writing, when you self-publish and you can actually get numbers in front of companies to later use at that point, it's definitely going to make your case easier for when you want to go and make stuff. It just is what it is. Because you you've already met my friend who's done his own self-publishing. Yes. And I'm I respect st- him for it. I'm still reading some of it and so far I'm pretty intrigued. Even better, and I'll tell and I'll pass it along to him. Um it's it's just a matter of being aware of what you're doing. And even he had said it too when we talked to him at the convention. I went in knowing that my first work was not going to be a great seller. I just wanted to get my thoughts on paper and hone my craft. So expectation was set. And that's pretty great. reasonably. That's great. That's a great mindset. You should not want to have your first outing to be your magnum opus. Correct. Your first work should be at the very least. It should be good enough to be sold, but... You should always strive to improve from that first story. Exactly. And you may look back on it 10, 20, 30 years from now if you're still doing it and probably cringe at it. But it's the story that got you into into the into the threshold in the first place. Right. So as a writer, one of the things that you should at the very least uh, work towards to is being able to identify tropes and... Uh, and ideas that may co- that may or not contradict with the purpose of your story mm-hmm. and the world you're trying to build in. So, like we said, the Mary Sue is a bit of a conundrum. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a paradox. It is the epitome of the fantasy. That many people love to see for themselves, but may not necessarily share that in seeing stories written for everyone in general rather than for rather than for themselves it's a It's a little treat that we can enjoy if we write for ourselves, not the same if everyone else sees it. And that's, in my opinion, what makes the Mary Sue a bit of a a bit of a hard pill to swallow. Agreed. And with that being said, I think we've gotten everything we needed. Fair enough, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. We're glad to see you uh, come back to listen to us once more, and we hope that you come back next week. We'll have a new episode, new topic, ready to listen, and uh, set sail.
Thank you for listening in to the Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. We are humbled that you have given us your time to listen to us discuss things. If you would like to hear more from us, you'd like to see more from us, uh, I have personally a account on Twitter under the name of Ragnarok Knight. My co-host here also has an account on Twitter as well. He goes under the name of Punk Toast. We also have a Facebook page under the name of Captain Mediocre's Haunted Tiki Bar. If you would like to uh, check that out for updates on when we have our sessions. We also have our voicemail link in the show notes. We will be having voicemails read during the course of our records going forward, as long as there are voicemails to be, re- uh, to be listened to. Um, any further inquiries on that, uh, do feel free to PM either of us on Twitter, or you can go through the actual Facebook page to ask us any queries as well. Thank you so much to all of you. Safe travels to you all. Cast off, friends. <laughs>